Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 58 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old-time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including Beginning Mandolin and Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin and the New Fingerboard Method with Sharon Gilchrist, Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Fibish, and Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to PegheadNation.com, use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's all one word. It's also brought to you by Northfield Mandolins. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out our website at NorthfieldMandolins.com. Download our app at MandoSummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. So thank you to Northfield. I also want to take this time real quick to mention maybe one of the most incredible music camps I've ever seen listed online if you are a fan of new acoustic music. I was uh, scrolling through the Facebook feeds a week or so ago, and I saw this ad by the Seeds of Music. And just the mandolin, the mandolin camp alone is incredible. And it's got three former guests, so that makes it even more incredible. Uh, Dominic Leslie, and then master classes with Sierra Hall and Jake Jolliffe. Um, so that's going to be amazing. It's like a fall academy. It's 10 weeks, and it's amazing. I mean, the, the people they have, like Banjo, is Bela Fleck, Tony Trishka. They have Brittany Haas, Grant Gordy, Chris Eldridge from the Punch Brothers, and Paul, the bass player from the Punch Brothers. It's it's crazy. So um, I reached out to them to get some more information, and they offered the mandolins and beer listeners 10% off the sign-up fee. So I'll have a link at um, at the website where you can go to to sign up for this and to check it out. And the code to use at checkout if you decide to sign up is MANDOBEER10. And that's all one word, MANDOBEER10. Use that at checkout. And that is good until September 12th. So if you want to get 10% off an incredible virtual camp that's going to be uh, with some great players, go check it out. So thank you to... Uh, Seeds of Music for offering that to the listeners. That's a great value. And then finally, I'm announcing the September 26th live stream event. It's taking place in Nashville, Tennessee. It is going to be at a recording studio. It's going to be high-def multi-cameras. It's going to be recorded through the recording studio setup, so it's going to sound great. And my guests that are going to be playing along are going to be Casey Campbell, Dominic Leslie, and Jared Walker from Billy Strings. It's going to be an exciting, it's going to be a mandolin-packed event. Um, we're working on the set list now. I want to thank Mandolin Cafe and Peghead Nation for helping sponsor this event right off the get-go. Um, I, I really, really appreciate that. The whole reason why I wanted to do this live stream thing is is, um, you know, live music's been pretty much decimated as we know it right now. And some of my favorite players and myself have been out of work now for months and months. And, um, you know, we, we want to perform and this is the safest way to do it. 
And I, it's going to be an exciting time to kind of have like an inside view of what a mandolin jam looks like and, you know, see how different people work and play different songs. How we're going to do the ticketing is it is going to be a recommended $10 donation. Now, musicians aren't the only people who have been out of work through this entire time, too. So it's a recommended donation of $10. But if you can't afford $10, completely understand. Donate what you can afford. Vice versa. If you can afford to kick in a little bit more than the recommended $10 donation, that would be awesome as well. You're helping some out-of-work musicians headed into the holidays. Um, and I will have at mandolinsabeer.com, I'll have the information. You can PayPal, Venmo, or use Cash App. And within 24 hours of your donation, you're going to get a link to a private Facebook group. And you'll join that group, and then that's where the live stream is going to take place. Um, I'm also looking at doing it on YouTube, but there's um, there's some weirdness of that with the amount of streams you can possibly do. So you can comment while we're playing. Um, again, we're going to have a set list, but, you know, maybe one of your requests will be on the set list. So I am really, really excited. Thank you again to Mandolin Cafe, Peghead Nation, Casey, Dominic, and Jared as well. So super excited um but i've been working so hard at that here and with labor day and such um i didn't get a chance to post the uh double stop lessons that i'm working on that will be up hopefully this weekend and i'll talk about it next week but let's get into the episode with ashley hoyer cheers everybody all right now i'd like to welcome to the podcast ashley hoyer ashley how are you today I'm doing just fine, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I appreciate it. You've you've kind of had a busy uh, a busy few months. <laughs> yep, you know, gotta gotta stay busy and not not dwell on the crazy stuff happening in the world. Absolutely, you had to move a giant chicken coop. <laughs> yes, that is <laughs> one of the many challenging things that have. That has been going on. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And then you also said you were renovating a uh, renovating a house right now. I can't imagine that is uh, anything but time consuming. <laughs> Not only is it a house, it is a triplex. Oh, so that what? is um, one little thing at a time, one foot in front of the other. Yeah, it's um, it's a really beautiful house with two little detached units that we're going to rent out. Um, so yeah, we're just working on getting the the rentals up and running, and then we'll. We'll work on our own place. Wow, that's amazing. Smart investment, too. <laughs> <laughs> Always been a goal, you know? Mandolin mandolin players have to make money somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think people really realize. I just had this conversation with another, a, a pretty prominent full-time mandolin player. And, um, you know, like, when you think of, like, all these amazing mandolin players or people who get to play music for a living, like, it's definitely not as lucrative as maybe some people might assume. It's awesome. It's incredible to do what you love to do. And those, most people don't get into this, but I think his quote was like, if anybody got into this to uh, make money, man, they made a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure you know this little joke. How do you make a million dollars in folk music? How? You start out with two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Sad but true. Um, it's, it is. But, but it, yeah. What are you going to do though? It, it's, it's a calling, like anything. I think. Yeah, I I tried to stop playing. I know it sounds weird, but I I just wanted to do it in as as an experiment because there, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle of a life of as a, as a career, and I wanted to just try something else for a while. And you know, I got. 
so depressed. I couldn't even handle it. I had to, I, you know, the struggle was better than the alternative. <laughs> Um, and, and you're like, a, we'll get into this in a little bit, but you're, you're like next level, you say folk musician, but you've written some like intense pieces of music um, that are beyond just, a, you know, what people would think of as fiddle tunes. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, I think that's actually one of my biggest interests in music is writing and, um, and yeah, I mean, I started sort of in the, I started as a classical violinist. So that's kind of where my, my musical brain began. Um, then I got into mandolin and folk music and stuff and I love it. And I started writing fiddle tunes, mando tunes. Um, and, but I never really lost interest in other, you know, forms like, you know, classical forms and, uh, other types of, of, uh, you know, classical music and whatnot. So, I'm currently even now I'm in school for composition and uh, it's something that I, I just dearly love. It works really well for my brain and my, my temperament and everything. I just love to like sit down and work on a puzzle for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and that's what, that's what it's like. And um, so, so yeah, it's uh it's, it's really fun and I, I can't imagine giving it up, but I also love playing fiddle tunes on mandolin. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's like instant gratification. You get to hang out with your friends, have a good time, drink some beer. Um, you know, it's, uh, I like, I like all of it. So how did you find yourself from going from like classical violin to playing a mandolin? Yeah. So my classical violin teacher, when I was a kid, she sort of required me to choose another instrument and I could choose whatever I wanted. And at the time I, I thought it was kind of silly, <laughs> a silly, silly request. And so I chose the mandolin because it was tuned exactly the same way and I wouldn't have to work very hard. <laughs> but over time I found that I just adored the mandolin. I, you know, have you ever, I'm sure you've uh, come across, you know, there are certain personality types for different instruments, <laughs> you know, violinists are sort of the divas you know, that kind of thing. That's, I'm kind of a quiet introverted person and I don't like to draw attention to myself strangely as a performer. <laughs> so, um, playing violin, although I loved it, I, you know, it wasn't the perfect match. So when I picked up mandolin, you know, you can be really subtle and quiet, and, um, you know, complimentary to other musicians very easily. Yeah. And I found it really, it just, it was my vibe. I loved it. And then of course, all the different folk music that I got to be involved with. Um, I, I did the whole fiddle circuit when I was a kid every year, the old time fiddle contest and the festivals. And I would go on road trips with my mom. It was so fun. It was a great, great way to um, have fun with music as a kid. So you were already kind of into like the folk music and bluegrassy stuff, even as playing uh, violin or, or, or fiddle. Cause I think sometimes people like when I hear, like I started out on violin, like suddenly I picture like some crazy movie where you're locked away in a room with a metronome and, and <laughs> sheets of music all over the floor trying to perfect, you know, like, you know, some crazy intense music. Was it, did, did you go through phases of that as well when you were playing violin? Oh yeah. That's where it began. Wow. <laughs> I, um, I think that's when, when, uh, when I finally got to mandolin and I realized you know, it's kind of a stress relieving instrument at that time. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that's, I think that's why I sort of took off with it. It was sort of the, the fun other instrument that wasn't being taken in a crazy serious, uh, you know, 
serious way for a little kid. Yeah, you know, you have to have, you know, in order to get to a certain level, um, you just really have to be self-motivated, self-directed, and just keep going. So, you know, if you're like stressed out and playing all this hard stuff and beating yourself up and, you know, that's not a, that's not a way to continue. So like, if you find the thing that's fun for you and you can just like keep that going, it's sustainable, then you can reach a crazy level. Oh, for sure. What was the most difficult transition from switching over to the boat instrument to the, uh, to the plucked instrument for you? I would say probably um, right-hand speed. Mm-hmm. You know, because the bow, you can just play all these notes in the same bow. And, and you can do these cool, like, you can do like a bouncing technique with your wrist that really you can make your, your notes go really fast with a bow, either with separate bows or slurred. But when you're playing with a pick, there's really no other way except to pick every freaking note, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, with the occasional pull off or whatever, but, you know, not too many of those and you're going to tear up your left hand. So it's, uh, yep, I think it's, it's, and even still today, that's probably the number one thing that I, I try and maintain and work on constantly is keeping my speed as, as up as if I can. What do you do? What's your approach for that? Um, I usually start, I, I usually start practice with a metronome. It's something where I don't have to use my brain too much and it's more of a feel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, um, I just, I just kind of start with a pretty easy tempo and I play like whole notes and half notes and quarter notes and eighth notes and triplets and 16th, et cetera, et cetera, all different kinds of rhythms on open strings just to listen for tone and get my right hand really like you know working i feel like a lot of mandolin i teach a lot i feel like a lot of mandolin players sort of completely ignore their right hand and i kind of feel like that is um so much can be done with the right hand that will clean up your playing in really awesome ways um if you just take the time to really make it clean sometimes i mute my my strings with my left hand Mm -hmm. and i just pick in a mute a muted pick to see how accurately i can hit the metronome um and then subdivide and get different rhythms and whatnot uh, just to hear how actually precise um you know i'm being uh, it's strangely uh it's very it's 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 eye-opening you know and it doesn't lie <laughs> no <laughs> yeah the metronomes aren't broken <laughs> you're ever like yeah this thing is i think i i think i got the wrong metronome nope <laughs> they're pretty That's accurate funny. i had a i had a stand partner in orchestra when i was playing violin and um it was a community orchestra i was a, a teenager and this older lady who was a part of it, she was saying how her metronome kept changing tempos. And I said, um, <laughs> do you know what a metronome does? It's, it's jo- only job in the world is to not change. Maybe your battery's low. I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. But now, like, there's no reason to not practice with a metronome. If you have a smartphone, you have access to 15 free metronomes, <laughs> you know? That is a very good point. I will bring that up to my student next <laughs> that yeah. next brings it up. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason not to. Do you teach online lessons? I I do, although things are just kind of mellow right now because I've been concentrating on uh, the house and school and stuff. But 
I do occasionally teach online. Uh, it takes, I find it takes a certain kind of student to make that work very well. I had a couple students for, you know, a few years at a time, which I found really awesome on their part to be able to keep up with it. Uh, but yeah, I usually teach, you know, face-to-face one-on-one lessons, um, when there is no COVID, but online is, is, is a great alternative and, you know, I'm, I'm always, always looking for more students. Sweet. So I'll post a link to your website. Awesome. So who were some of your favorite mandolin players when you first started listening and you were like, Oh, (laughs) this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I went crazy for the mando when I was a kid and I couldn't get enough of it. Um, I'd say the people I would listen to were um, Rodin Zinkel. Weezer, Idaho, the the fiddle championship yeah. uh, camp, and I met him in person, and I, I think he gave me a CD or I bought one or something, and I just, I don't know, I was, I was a little starstruck, <laughs> yeah. and I could, I just like got, I just loved the CD, and it was really interesting how he had all these different tunings and instruments, um, and then of course, Mike Marshall, I started going to the Mandolin Symposium oh, when cool. that first started and um which introduced me of course to a lot of mandolin players and chris Thiele and um you know jazz guys the the brazilian stuff is pretty amazing Uh, you know, I think starting life as a violinist, I I had a sound in mind that I wanted. I was kind of trying to reduce some qualities of the violin on the mandolin, like trying to sustain as much as possible because I really don't want that note to die. <laughs> and you know, making it really clean and um, yeah. So I. I don't know if I have modeled my playing after any one particular person, but mm-hmm. I really loved going to the symposium and hearing everybody, everybody play. I really like Adam Steffi's playing. When I heard his mandolin, I got in touch with Oliver Apidius for uh, one of his instruments. So 
that was really, that was how that happened. Wow, that's awesome. I always wanted to go to the symposium, but it was just like, at the time, I lived in Michigan and just California just seemed like so far away and having to take time off work and, you know, Mm. but now I, you know, now I really, really wish that I would have gone into at least one of them. So what, um, when did you, when did you decide like music was going to be your thing? Hmm. I was little. <laughs> I was. I had to. Um, I have four siblings, and we we didn't grow up very affluent. So we had we we could choose one extracurricular activity as a kid mm-hmm. uh, each. And so I I told my parents I wanted to play violin, and of course, and that's quite an expense getting an instrument and lessons. And they said, okay, if you still want to do violin in a year, we will we will we will we'll bite the bullet. And so I had to beg and beg and beg over and over and over. And finally they believed me. And so when I started lessons, they're like, you're going to have to practice. You're going to have to practice every day. And they never had to say it again. I just loved practicing. I loved playing with other people. And so I, I knew you know, as soon as I started, I think that that's, you know, that was my thing. It felt the most natural and, you know, yeah, so probably eight-ish. Did, eight-ish, wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, did you have, like, visions of what, like, at, like, eight or at, like, a certain point, what, like, playing music as a career kind of meant to you? Yeah, so when I was, like, when I was eight, that was more like, oh, music is my thing. I don't know in what capacity. Obviously, I'm eight. <laughs> but um, when I was 16, I remember getting really fed up with school <laughs> and um, telling my parents, my mom, was a te- my mom was a teacher, you know, I was a little nervous to tell her, but I was like, you know, I just, I want to be a musician. I don't want to go to college. Uh, I want to go travel and learn music on the road. And I don't need this school thing. I just want to go tour. And that's the life I want. And I think I can make, make a living doing that. You know, I'm just, um, make enough money to at least, you know, have a roof over my head and some food. <laughs> and that's, that's what I did. As soon as I graduated high school, I just, I, I took some college at the same time as high school. So I got pretty close to, uh, like a couple years of college under my belt before mm-hmm. I took off after high school. And then I toured for several years nonstop. That's just what I did. And wow. It was great and difficult, and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> but uh, I, I've I've since been, you know, calling the career and making it, you know, taking the better gigs and the better paying gigs and learning what I enjoy doing the best, taking some writing gigs, some performing gigs, different band gigs, and just kind of making this like sweet spot for for my livelihood and teaching, of course. Teaching is a big part of it as well. That's a great way to um, to be able to not have to take all those, you know. <laughs> 50, $50 bar gigs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where nobody cares you're there. <laughs> you know, and then you have to you have to justify the $50 you just made to some jerk bartender. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you have to like go buy gas and a, and a, and a meal after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, never had one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's something romantic about it, you know, when you're younger and you're, it's okay to struggle, but you know, it's, uh, 
getting a little bit older. Wow. I can't believe I just said that. I, uh, I, you know, I want to have a certain amount of no stress in my life. Yeah, for sure. That, that's, that's the way, you know, to organize it. The teaching is great too, because I find it really, when I was touring a lot every, every freaking day, I, I sort of felt disconnected from the community because mm-hmm. you're like bouncing around everywhere. And so when I do teach, I feel really like, you know, I get to have these ongoing relationships with my students and, you know, you have these roots and it's, I find it really rewarding. That's great. I think maybe people who don't realize what touring is like might have got a taste of it during COVID when you're trying to figure out, is today Tuesday? <laughs> you know, like it's, exactly. Uh, that's that's a lot what it's like. It's weird. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a little, you feel like you're, you know, traveling like on a plane all the time and you're just a little out of sorts, no time to actually relax and feel like yourself. Right. What kind of music were you playing when you um when you hit the road? Were you playing the mandolin then at that point too, or were you playing fiddle or violin? Um, I was doing I was doing both. Oh, cool. Um, fiddle and mandolin, and it was just a little a little duo of violin and and mandolin, mostly Celtic programs, and we did little theaters and clubs and festivals, and it was sweet, you know, like Highland Games. It was it oh, was wow. fun and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that the same duo that put out the um the album the is it Zephyr in the Confetti Factory? <laughs> you got it. That was my first exposure to you. <laughs> um, when the Mandolin Cafe did that feature a little while back on Two Trees, uh-huh. I was like, oh my gosh, that reminds me of this album. And I had gotten it so long ago, it, um, I didn't have access to it. I, I bought it on iTunes. It wouldn't let me download it, so I had to call. I literally wanted to listen to it so bad, I called iTunes. It was on hold for like two hours. And oh it was, my gosh. Yeah, and it was because... I used an email address that I haven't used in like 15 years. And the lady's like, well, do you remember the password to that email address? I'm like, no. Do you remember the password to your email address from 15 years ago? <laughs> and they wouldn't give me access to it, even though I could see it. It was grayed out. So I bought it like some crazy used copy on eBay and um, oh to listen to God. it again. And it's just as great as it was. I'm so glad I did because <laughs> it's really, really good. Oh, my gosh. That is a, that's a pretty great story. One of the, one of the better ones. Right on. One of my albums. <laughs> and then where did it go from there? What was the what was the next steps in the mandolin journey? Yeah, so I that's when I was living in Asheville, and then I came back to California, where my family is. And um, during that duo time, we played some contra dances, and I got to meet some other musicians from that world. Uh, one of them being Jeff Spiro, and he lives in LA. And when he heard I was coming back. He said, hey, want to come join with my band? <laughs> and I said, heck yes, I don't have any bands right now. Let's do this. And so um, it's kind of cute. They actually, we had a, 
we had a, they said, okay, we'll hire you for this weekend gig, which is pretty intense. If you've ever done a contra dance weekend, you play a lot of music, especially like, and I hadn't done much in that world. I didn't know their tunes very well. I, this band had been together, I don't know how many years before I joined, but they had their own repertoire. They gave me a list of tunes to learn before this weekend gig. And so I just, like my uh, <laughs> task-minded self, I just learned everything and went to the gig. I think they expected me to not learn, <laughs> have not learned anything, which is kind of funny. But anyway, they they liked what I did, and I had a great time. They're a blast. This is a syncopass, by the way. And so the next the next meeting I had with them, Jeff Sparrow asked me to marry them. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I thought that was a really cute way to do it. <laughs> oh, and, wow. Um, he's like, will you be in my band? I said, of course, this is so fun. And ever since we've been doing contra dance weekends and one-off dances and crazy fun experiences with uh, whoever will hire us and People keep hiring us, so we're still going. <laughs> how many songs for people to maybe get an idea of how much work? I've never played a contra dance, but I've I've been yeah. to one. And um, how many songs were on that list that you had to learn? Ball oh Park-ish. my gosh, probably like three hundred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> three and yeah, hundred. <laughs> that was like that was for one gig too. I think I was just really needing a band, <laughs> so I just. I just bit the bullet and learned everything because I really wanted to be in the band. <laughs> did you play a lot of those songs? Yeah, they had. They they did actually at the time. Now our set list is sort of way out of date, and we just kind of do things on the fly most of the time. We sometimes even make up tunes on the fly if we're really bored, <laughs> as one can get during a contra dance weekend. If you've been playing for like, you know, you're on your twentieth hour of playing, and you just want to hear something different. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, there's nothing worse than when they give you a list and then they don't play any of the songs off the list. That is mean. That's just irresponsible. So then when did you get to, um, when did you decide you wanted to do Two Trees? Good question. Um, well, I think I just needed, you know, I write a lot of tunes and a lot of these tunes did not work at a contra dance. Contra dances are pretty, you know, not as, not as rigid as English country dances or Scottish country dancing, but mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, you have to follow a certain form. Uh, 
AABB usually, and it has to be in a certain time signature, either four four three four six eight. Um, the occasional flip jig in nine eight is is okay with the right collar, <laughs> but um, I think I was just craving something different. And I would I always write, I, you know, from the very beginning of learning music, I was always trying to write music, and I started writing these things that you know. I did not have a home for, you know, I couldn't play them at a dance and, um, syncopaths were kind of like just a, a, a folk band that would, you know, the audience really likes traditional folk music or kind of like a little more, a little, a little further afoot folk music. We like to stretch it a tiny bit, but, um, I was writing things that were either more classically, uh, had some influence or, you know, rock or pop and stuff like that, maybe a mixture of everything. And I just decided, you know, I have all these things. I have all these, like, I have tune books full of ideas and I want to do something with it. I think that'd be really satisfying. So I got in touch with this, um, a friend of mine who plays bass and he's a producer in, uh, the, at the time I was living in Ventura, California. And I said, Hey, would you, would you produce me? I live three blocks from you. That would be very convenient. <laughs> And uh, he had a little garage studio, which was worked for both of us. We um, so it, it was fantastic. I had a great time working with him, and he was he was great. His philosophy was: I don't want to make you sound like me. I want you to sound as much like you as possible. I want to make you sound even more like you. <laughs> and um, so I think he actually did that. He heard what my ideas were and he would make certain suggestions. And, you know, I ended up overdubbing. It was pretty much me overdubbing myself on different instruments. And then I had a couple of guests on there that play accordion and flute and guitar uh, on a couple of tracks, but it's pretty minimal and it's mostly me overdubbing myself. Um, and that was sort of my first little, um, you know, foray into trying to create something that came out of my brain. <laughs> I love it. Now it's, is it called, it's called two trees, but did you, yeah. was there, was that the song that was like the, uh, okay, this is the one that that's driving me to make this album. Or was there a song on there where you were like, ah, I've been wanting to do that and get that out forever. And, and I nailed it with this album. wrote the song first and actually that is a little local icon in Ventura two trees there's two I think they're I think they're 
oak trees at the top of a hill. They've been burned down a couple times now, but people keep planting them. Uh, but you can see them everywhere from the ocean, from the whole city. And, and, uh, anyway, I was, I think doing a lot of reading those in those days and thinking about, you know, an artist being situated, like settled in a certain area and that type of influence that it has on your, on your creativity and things like that. So I wanted it to be sort of about the area where I was. And so I, I wrote this tune that sort of had two different themes, kind of like a, a lighter, more sparse melody, and then sort of like a filled, toony, darker theme. And I was like, two, it's like two. Oh, two trees. Perfect. And so I, I like, I like that so much. I'm, I'm called, I'm named it um, for the album as well. When you write on electric mandolin, is that, were you, do you like run, cause you have cool effects that you, mm. uh, that, that are like on that, you know, like, do you write mm-hmm. those things separately or do you write them do they start acoustically and you're like oh you know i think this would be even better with some delay I usually end up, I mean, I don't know, whatever I happen to have in my hands, I um, I start writing, but then I can sort of tell, hey, this is going to sound, either the mood is more electric or technically it's going to sound, it's going to work better on the electric instrument. Um, I was I was studying a lot of jazz at one point, and I love jazz guitar so much, uh, certain, certain, you know, time periods of, of jazz that I was really influenced by that, you know, a jazz guitar, electric jazz guitar, arch top, whatnot. And I, um, I was just trying to make it sound a little like that. And I loved how the harmony would just really, you know, if you can keep your hand down, <laughs> your left hand down, you can really make some gorgeous, um, suspensions and like the harmony just bleeds through. And I just, Oh, I love it. And, so I wanted to have some, I feel like that that's almost like a different instrument than the mandolin in a way. Even though it's tuned the same way, it just the playability is so different and my brain works I think the way you, you one would think about electric mandolin versus mandolin just technically is is very different. I was super surprised to hear like electric mandolin cuz you don't hear it very often, especially <laughs> especially on like like a solo album I say solo, I mean, you know, Basically, it's it's you, even though you had a few guests and different things like that. But you hear it on like certain like certain bands play it, and it's kind of buried in there with drums, and then it just sounds yeah. like a Les Paul. You know what I mean? I'm like, why why are you playing it? Why don't you just play a Les Paul? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, my first um, introduction to mandolin, electric mandolin, was a tiny more. sort of Texas swing kind of stuff and 
And there were really cool things that I, I really liked about it. But then I kind of moved into the jazz guitar, you know, more modern um, and, uh, you know, interesting harmonic stuff. And, yeah, I just wanted a different mood, not the sort of like, you know, glee, happy, you know, Texas-y, um, you know, really... I don't know. Happy go lucky. I think yeah, is a for good sure. <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, they're all super fast and upbeat and just like it's like extra major key. <laughs> like, right. How right. is this it so happy? Be, <laughs> if you go beyond major, it would be there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, who are you mentioned? Uh, you you love like the jazz rhythm guitar, the jazz guitar stuff. Who are some of the uh, guitar players Ooh. you like? Because I also nice. love some jazz guitar players. Nice. Well, it's been a little while, but I can, I can, um, well, a classic dude. I love, um, Jim Hall. Uh, I really like, uh, there's a modern dude named Gilad Heckelman. Uh, he writes some gorgeous pieces actually. And in fact, he helped, he inspired me to write two trees cause he did this sort of really cool pedal situation with his right hand where he was sort of accompanying and droning with his melody with himself. And oh. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and if you want to check it out, I think that track is called Verona. And it's just so beautiful and calm and gorgeous. And it's it's interesting without being, like, bashy over the head. Uh, like, there's something complicated happening. It's just, like, <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, and I love things that are sort of intricate and beautiful, like, sort of organic. You know, it just kind of works. And it's not like, I tried to make this complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that's that's the best thing too is when you listen to like a beautiful piece of music, be it mandolin or jazz guitar or whatever, and then it's just so sneakily deceptive and how hard it is to play it. You're like, oh, I'm going to pick up, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I love when that happens. Me too. Yeah, or like if you learn something by ear and and it wasn't so bad, but then you try and write it out, and you're like, oh wow, this is way more complicated than I thought it was. <laughs> So that writing it out, that's that brings up an interesting question. Um, were you always writing these compositions out for yourself? Not for fiddle music. Um, although I do plan to, like now after the fact, I'd like to come out with some books at some point. But Oh, yeah. Um, I find at least, I kind of find writing without, um, composing without writing it out. I find it, um, I don't know, you just come up with a really more convincing musical idea than, you know, if you're sitting with either your computer or your pencil and paper, writing it out. And I don't know, theory and looking at it, you get influenced by patterns and, you know, other things. Whereas if you're just sitting with an instrument or just sitting with your brain and you're trying to like hum a melody or try and under, like try and come up with a harmonic idea, uh, you, you can take it to places that you haven't, gone before which i personally like i like to make it go somewhere interesting and different and you know each melody is different it shouldn't end up all with the same you know ending <laughs> yeah um 
So, yeah, I find when I write with paper, I tend to follow more patterns that I'm aware of mm-hmm. uh, just consciously, and I like to write without paper. You know how I end up capturing things? No, how? I end up doing my, um, I put my voice memos on when I like feel like I'm really close to getting something. And, uh, and you know, each of my voice memos are like thousands and thousands of voice memos on my phone. But I just want to like, you know, it's this really fleeting thing. And if you don't get it and you get distracted or, you know, you have a different idea and you just, it's, oh, it's so frustrating to like watch a good idea leave <laughs> and you can't get it back. So anyway, I have tons and tons and tons of voice memos of like lots of crazy, crazy sounds of me humming or, or playing on my mandolin or something. I also want to bring up the album Fire and Grace and Ash. Well, uh, William Coulter is a wonderful... Uh, guitar player in uh, near the Bay Area, and he I've I've done a few uh, taught us a lot of camps, but this one in particular was in Tehachapi, California, in the mountains, and um, I met Bill there, and we just he he was a classical musician as well, classical guitar, and did the whole school thing, and and also played amazing Irish guitar and other Celtic styles, solo guitar as well with um, beautiful Celtic melodies. But anyway, he, um, you know, when I when I heard him play, I, my jaw dropped because I was like, wow, you're amazing. And so I would just kind of like, you know, weasel my way into the evening jams and and try and listen to him and and learn some stuff from him and. And one night he started playing some Bach and I was like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and so I I started playing some with him and we just, you know, it was like two pals after that point. Um, anyway, we, we tried to like do a couple projects together. You know, he had me guest tour with his band one time and um, had me record on a couple albums, one with Brian Finnegan, wonderful flute player from the band Flute. And, uh, and finally a couple of years ago he he's like hey i'm in this duo with this baroque violin player I'm like whoa baroque violin player this is interesting <laughs> already and he's like um we play this this uh this box festival in carmel every year and we try and make it really interesting and we thought we'd invite you as a guest this year and how would you feel about playing a bunch of bach and bluegrass tunes <laughs> like um yes great you know, not, nothing like a little incentive, um, you know, memorize all the box. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I met Edwin. Edwin is a violinist. He's uh, he's originally from Toronto or near near Toronto. And um, he lived in Santa Cruz for a while, California. Anyway, we hit it off because, you know, violin and mandolin, pal forever. <laughs> and uh, we played a ton of Bach together. And um, he's just a hoot and a half. And uh, so we did the Bach Festival and we just realized, wow, this is a really special combo. Um, We really push each other. We really work hard. We're very respectful of each other. And it's really fun to just, you know, play all kinds of music together. And and, uh, so we ended up recording uh, an album 
that is one of Bach's partitas uh, for violin, solo partita for violin in E major. And we put a bunch of bluegrass tunes with it. Not, that was Bill and Edwin's idea. I'm, I'm not really sure about the uh, where that came from, but <laughs> I was totally happy to be on board with whatever because they're really fun and great musicians. Yeah, it's a great album. And then that brings us, speaking of cool albums, long story short... with um you know after two, the two trees album where i overdubbed myself i was like wow i never want to do that again <laughs> uh, even though it was really cool i liked the finished product it was a ton of work and also it didn't really have the sort of um you know it's it's not as fun to overdub yourself as it is to play with other musicians and so i decided i think i need to form a band for my original stuff and uh, so I got to know this cellist, Aria, who coincidentally plays with Bill, that guitar player I just mentioned. And she's up in the Santa Cruz area, classical cellist, but also crazy good fiddle cellist. I don't know what, it, I don't, is that a chiddler or I don't know, I don't know what the, what the term is for that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's, she's great. She's also really into, um, Danish tunes, really interesting stuff. And she teaches at Alistair's camp and other things like that. She's involved with the folk world a lot. Anyway, I asked her if she wanted to be a part of my original original music uh, and band, and she was just totally on board, and we're just great friends, and she's a just wonderful person to work with. And then and from the Concord Dance world with the Syncopath, um, usually there's another alternating band at these weekends, and you get to know them really well because you're staying usually in the same area and, you know, you have to coordinate with them and stuff. And so over the years, I've gotten to know this fiddler named Ben Schreiber, who's awesome. He lives in St. Louis. Okay, yeah, I know the name. He's, yeah, okay, cool. He's in another contradance band called um, Uncle Farmer and another one called The Damn Beavers. <laughs> um, anyway, he's in lots of bands, and he's just... I really liked him as a choice because, A, I think almost what's more important than one's musicality is their temperament. And when you're touring, you have to get along and you have to be easygoing and you have to be able to deal with obstacles and not feeling good. And anyway, he is just, he reminds me of my brother. He's just really easygoing, love working with him. And he just learns all the music, very capable of learning whatever I throw at him. And, uh, and he's always, uh, He's always there. There's no excuses. He just is there. And so it was just a perfect combo of amazing fiddler, classical cellist slash chiddler. And, um, and then whatever mandolin desires I have. So, you know, some of it is really folky and acoustic and others are kind of dreamy and electric. Um, and these are all originals of my own and, uh, super fun. I actually, because we aren't able to meet frequently because we don't live in the same location i had to write everything out in a score which is really fun for me and then send them their parts and then and then they practice them and then when we do meet with our precious little time 
were able to play no problem. So they have those skills where they can just pick up whatever and read whatever. In fact, they have these iPads, which they put on a stand and are backlit, so you can read them in any lighting. And then there's a little Bluetooth foot pedal where they can turn pages with their feet. So they don't have to, like, turn with their hands, which is cool. <laughs> How long did it take you to record the album? Two days. <laughs> really? We had we oh only had gosh. two days. <laughs> um, we had one rehearsal day the day before, and I got an Airbnb in Hollywood, and we all stayed in the same Airbnb and made meals together, <sighs> rehearsed all day long, and then I only had two days to record, um, and that's what I paid for in this really, really great recording studio called Clear Lake Recording. And I hired this engineer who's wonderful, um, Anton, uh, Anton Doty. And he's, he's great. Uh, and he really helped us put the, you know, he's, he's, he's the fourth band member, really. He helped us with editing and mixing and mastering the whole shebang and had a lot of great ideas and how we, our strategy to record, you know, we at first wanted to just be in the same room and, you know, we liked the live feeding off each other's sound and he's like, Hey, you know, we can make this, we can get you all isolated, make editing a lot easier and you can have sight lines. We have, I know the studio where, you know, you can see each other, but you're separated and makes my job easier. I'm like, okay, let's try it. And it was totally the right call. Oh my gosh. Wow. So yeah, this album was sort of like, we've done a few tours together and we've sort of accumulated some, you know, this music and we wanted to just tour more together. And this was sort of our, you know, we, most venues are like, Hey, where's your album? <laughs> so uh, we wanted to have an album to book ourselves for more shows. And uh, that was, this is our, our, our debut as a band. All right. Can't recommend it any more highly than, than anything. It's so good. Uh-huh. It, let's talk a little bit about the gear you used on this album, sure. like, or, or or main axes, or, or or whatever gear talk you would like to do. Sure. Um, so it's the, the same old uh, trusty Epidius mandolin that I've had for, I think, 10 years now. Um, got to break it in, so it's really just, you know, opened up since I've had it. And I like uh, elixir strings, because I don't hear a lot of, like, sliding with my left hand on the strings I like extraneous noises or you know I want it to be clean and smooth and and mellow I like a really kind of I don't like a bright a bright shimmery metallic-y sound I tend to like a really mellow um you know bell like sound and uh I like Wigan picks that's just kind of what I'm used to I kind of like them you know once I found gear that I like I just haven't looked since because it works for me but um, I'm totally willing to try stuff. It's just like, you know, I, I guess I'm a little lazier because I, I like what I have. <laughs> I also love the Wiegands. I just think they are so warm and and um, quiet, pick noise-wise. Yeah, yeah. And I like the tone. The tone sounds really good. Whenever I do like an A-B test with another pick, I'm always like, no contest. <laughs> what, about the, what about the electric mandolin? Yeah, so the electric mandolin is a Mando caster from the 60s. Oh, cool. I have a crazy story about this. When I was in high school, um, my local high school here had a choir director that I didn't really know, but since my mom was a teacher, you know, all the staff kind of knew who I was, knew that I played mandolin and fiddle and whatever. And so the choir director was like, oh, you play mandolin. Well, I have this electric mandolin. Do you want to try it out? And I said, sure. 
And when I got it, I didn't know what the heck to do with it. <laughs> it was so foreign to me. Like, I had no idea what to do with it. And before you know it, I am graduated high school and he said, oh, just keep it. So it actually sat in my closet for years. Like, I didn't, but I didn't want to get rid of it, of course, because I knew it was like a vintage instrument and maybe I'll find a use for it. And now I'm so happy that I did because I love it. It's when I got into jazz a little bit, I, I just found a home for it and, um, you know, kind of a moody mood, like even a more proper rock sound. You can just get these really cool harmonic pads and use effects and really get a different mood than, you know, of course, one can get from an acoustic instrument. Do you um, run it through like an amp and like do you, do you have multi-effects pedals or do you have like one effect pedal that has a bunch of stuff in it? Uh, all of the above. Yeah. So I, have an, <laughs> I have an amplifier that was built by uh, Fletcher Brock, of all people. I'm sure you know Fletcher. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he also builds boats. I mean, this guy is insane. He's He can build anything. So um, he used to live in Carpentria, which is very close to Ventura and Santa Barbara, where I've lived around here. So um, before he, he moved back up to, I think he's in Birmingham, Birmingham, not Birmingham, Bellingham. He's in Bellingham, Washington. And uh, anyway, he built this amazing amplifier and um i asked him if i could use it and get to know it and he's like sure it's just sitting in my shop and i just i ended up buying it because um it was a perfect fit for my my electric mando yeah. and it's a good size although it's a little heavy i'm kind of a little person um <laughs> it's it's uh pretty heavy i have to like take a little hand truck around when i have a gig so i get it to and from the stage but uh it's great. It's only, it's, you know, really simple. It's two, it's a tube amp. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah, it's definitely warm. So it's very warm sounding on the recordings. If that's what you used anyway, yeah. that's, it's cool. it sounds really it's good. True. I really, I, I definitely try and make it as warm as possible. You can probably hear the jazz guitar tone I'm going for. Yeah, for uh, sure. Cause these like Mando casters and electric mandolins, they sort of definitely, like they lean towards this like twang yeah. <laughs> because you know like the whole the, the home of electric mandolin is like this texas swing thing so it's like twangy is all get out and i just I, I don't like that at all it's not 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 the vibe i want to put out there <laughs> <laughs> although there's room for everything not not what i want when i'm trying to play like this you know depressing melody or whatever <laughs> um so the yeah, so the um, I, I tend to like roll off the the treble and and pump up the bass and um, you know, try and just get that sort of defining tone, the definition of the tone, sort of out of there, <laughs> and just kind of like have one tone meld into another. Just really kind of like, when did that happen? <laughs> and then I'm sorry, I cut you off before you got to talk about the effects there. So I just tend to like go for I like um you know, certain vintage reverbs and, um, you know, some fuzz here and there and uh, maybe some, um, what's the word? A delay. Delay and, um, yeah, all that stuff when it just kind of makes it really uh, ethereal and, you know, have a really cool ambiance. Well, cool. I've got two more questions for you here. And this has been just a, a joy, by the way, to, uh, to, to talk to you today. So thank you. For, I really appreciate you doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for, for having me here. Oh, absolutely. So the first question is um, uh, 10 minutes a day question, which is where I ask if you, would, um, if you were to work on something for 10 minutes a day to help you become a better player that you could recommend to people, what, what is something that you would work on? 
Well, uh, when I was talking about, you know, the, the constant struggle of the right hand earlier, um, I, I think when I get most frustrated is usually with the right hand and either not being able to keep up or not being as clean as I wish I was. So, um, I just find if I, it's kind of like stretching before you go for a run or something. It's like, it's just makes sense. It makes <laughs> sense to work on your, on your right hand. I, I either mute my strings with my left hand, like I said, and play with a click and just kind of line it up and try and be as relaxed as possible and then change tempos and subdivide. And I just, it's kind of a, a dorky little, um, little game of, you know, it doesn't take very much brain power. You just have to make, you know, feel that you're in a groove or feel that you're in time and on the click. And, you know, there's definitely like a good 10 minutes of that every day. Uh, it just feels like you're on your game all the time. Whereas if you're playing just left hand, right hand at the same time, it takes so long to warm up and to sort of, um, you know, like coordinate your hands so that everything sounds, you know, coordinated. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I think um, our brains are, of course, uh, really into our left hand and what's happening. There's a lot happening there. Um, but I think our right hand all too often gets ignored. And I think that's a it's an important um, it's an important technique to keep up. And it's just important to, you know, be on your game and be as accurate as possible, because you know what? We have one job as mandolinists. We have to hit the pick on the string at the exact right time. <laughs> and if you it's a responsibility, and if you're not, you've mi- you've blown your shot, <laughs> or or you're going to throw other people off in an ensemble. So I just think it's a good, it's good, it's a good all the you know all around thing to keep up on. You could play all the amazing licks in the world, but if you can't uh, if you can't play along with a group of people, it's pretty it's you're uh, you're out of luck. <laughs> it's pretty lonely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then the final question is, do you have a favorite beer? <laughs> well, I can tell you my current favorite and then my, my usual go-to. For sure. I'd love it. Let's hear it. Um, I don't have a specific brand in mind, but my a style that I really like right now are sours because it's so freaking hot in California right now, and it's a really, really refreshing beverage. And, you know, there are some sort of, like, novelty sours that are, you know, super fruity in one way or another. And, and I'm not really into that. I'm into like more of a, you know, okay. A hardcore, like um, just a beer that is sour, not like a, you know, grapefruit, raspberry, chocolate, whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I just like a good sour beer. Um, that's, that's a beautiful thing when it's hot out. Absolutely. And then my go-to uh, when I'm in a, in a, at a bar that might have a decent one is I love Saison's. Oh yeah, saisons are great. If well, mm-hmm. saisons are great if they're good. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded <laughs> ridiculous the way I just said that. It sounded so yeah. dumb, but you know what I mean. Like there's, I totally know. And there's good and beer or good and bad saisons, and if you get a good one, whoo! Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I used to be, you know, I did. I hopped on the IPA train for a while, but I think um, it actually when 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 there's a lot of hops, I, I, it makes me sneeze. So I um. I don't know. I started looking at different different styles, and saisons are are some of my all time favorites. 
Well, all-time favorites, you're one of my all-time favorite mandolin players. I love all your stuff. This is a great segue. I'm really glad that we uh, that we made this happen again. Like you were one of the one of the CDs I was luckily lucky enough to discover when I was really kind of digging in to mandolin, and I, you know I spent a lot of time listening to that album. Well, that's very sweet. I'm very appreciative to anybody that listens to anything that you know I do. It's, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful yet struggle of a career, and it's you know. It's actually really wonderful because you get to, because it's not like the super, you know, populated <laughs> audience, it, um, you get to know everybody personally. And I think that's a healthy thing. I think it's really good to know who listens, what they like. Um, you get to know people personally and uh, get students and friends and, you know, and then when touring does happen, you get to meet folks all around the country and it's, it's just, you know, it's a heartwarming, uh, wonderful community. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. Well, gosh, thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. Thanks so much to Ashley. Uh, thanks to my sponsors, Mandolin Cafe Northfield and Peghead and Nation. Don't forget to check out the 10% off the Seeds of Music program. And don't forget to sign up for that gig uh, September 26th. Mandolin's a beer live stream number one in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>